Just before we get started, I want to share with you one of our sponsors and a secret to our success. I don't know about you, but I got into commercial property to build a more passive income. But how do you manage multiple clients and contracts in multiple buildings without spending all of your time on endless spreadsheets? After a lot of research, we use Office R&D, the best flexible workspace software to manage our CMO buildings, co-working and flexspace. For starters, the automated bill run saves hours of work and means we don't miss any revenue. Plus, I can get many reports on the performance of each product and location. But here's the real clincher. We all need to focus on customers more and our clients can now use our app to access buildings, book meeting rooms, review their invoices. And there's a great feature where they can interact with our member community. And this is all managed from within the Office R&D platform. There's a partner link in the show notes so you can book a demo. Take a look, see how the system can improve your operations and customer experience. Right, make yourself comfortable. Let's get on with today's show. Welcome back to the Commercial Property Investors Podcast, where we aim to give you the knowledge and confidence to move from residential into commercial property investment. And I'm your host, Jerry Alexander. In the most recent podcast episode, which we called a project cast, I spoke about an acquisition we're going through right now. The intention of that type of episode is to give you an update of what we're doing out in the marketplace ourselves. As that particular project develops, we will give updates and lessons that we learn as we go along. I hope you found it useful. If there's anything you'd like us to change or, or continue with that format, let us know. But in the previous episode, which was episode 13, we spoke about how to assess the market demand for your potential projects. That is part of the deal appraisal process, of course. And to follow that up, this week I'm going to talk through the many factors you need to consider about the day-to-day running costs of commercial multiple occupancy projects. In other words, how to appraise the potential outgoing or operational costs. And this doesn't just affect commercial multi-let, it does of course affect single lets as well. But in order to fully work out the total potential income, we have to work out what the rental value could be. Um, That includes things like occupancy rates of course as well, i.e. how much void there's going to be, how many income streams there might be, and what other income can we actually add to the rent. And I'm going to cover this in a future episode. But for right now, let's talk about the potential costs. One of the key factors affecting how much expenditure you're going to have to deal with operationally will depend on whether you're working under a more traditional um, FIR lease or full insuring repairing lease or more of a serviced offering under license to occupy, which often is used in commercial multi-let. Or put another way, are you looking at single lets for five years plus on lease terms where it's more passive or a more hands-on CMO project with flexible space agreements. Either way, when a building is empty, it doesn't matter what you intend to do with it, the costs are going to be the same. These are the base costs that you'll have the minute you purchase a vacant property. So when you're appraising a property, these are some of the things you need to think about in those initial stages. And then, of course, they will be quite different depending on what you do with the property after you've actually purchased it. Now, I'm going to talk through lots of different factors for you to consider. Unfortunately, I can't show you a spreadsheet over the airwaves, so you need to jot some of these down. It will also be um, a bit of an information overload if I go through every single cost associated with the serviced offering. But I will try to break it down into sections so you can use these to kind of formulise a basic cost plan. 
So as we go through this, if you are more of a passive investor and you're looking at single lets, then that's okay. A lot of these costs will affect you and quite a few of the more technology costs and things may not affect you. So just have a listen through. And if you are looking more an intensive managed offering, then all of these costs plus more will probably need to be considered. So let's get stuck in. I have eight cost areas for you to consider. All of them have an influence on least or more passive investments, as well as more management intensive products. And the eight are, in no particular order, but finance, i.e. your borrowings, general facilities or utility costs, cleaning, yes, it has its own section, consumables, internet and technology provision, maintenance, staffing and head office costs, some often ignored head office costs, but you do need to consider those. And then the final one is marketing. So first one, finance. What way are you going to go? Are you going to do a cash purchase? Is it a mixture of bank and personal money? Or perhaps it's all private investor money. Each source will have its own cost and these need to be factored in. Everything we do is about cash flow. And although I know we're steadily paying a significant five-figure sum against capital every month, I just don't count it as cash flow because it's not readily available to us as an income. Oh, and remember, of course, that will have an implication on your corporation tax at the end of the year too, so bear that in mind in your calculations. Because even though you're paying off capital, the government may say to you, well, that's income that you've saved, therefore you're going to have to pay tax on it. Now, there are ways to mitigate that, of course, but just bear it in mind. All sales particulars, or memorandums, have the supposed net income shown. But it's up to you to fit in the finance costs. So, for instance, the headline initial yield might be 9%, but in reality, it might be more likely to be 4% or less for you, at least from a cash flow perspective. One of the criteria we have for commercial investments is that they must at least have the capacity to contribute an ROI of 20 to 25% on the whole price, including refurbishment. Now, this isn't from day one, but it needs to have that capacity in the long term. And that's not the return on your own money invested in the deal, which a lot of people work on. It's, it is possible to get that kind of return on the total investment. But for those kind of returns, you do need to be an active investor rather than passive. Either that or have a jolly good partner that you're working with. So second factor is the general facilities and utilities costs. A lot of these will affect you from day one. Obviously, the actual amounts will be less. So take an example, electric. Now, electric power for your property, you're going to need some when you buy it because you might have standing um standing price, standing charge on your electric meters, or indeed you may have some evening lighting that comes on to, or perimeter lighting that comes on, it's going to have a cost. But at first, it's your cost. And then it can be, as you bring in tenants, recoverable. And it might be the lease allows for that under a service element, or you put in a meter and it's their problem, or they take on the whole premises or a single tenant, there's an electric meter, they have to actually sign up with the supplier and it's all entirely their challenge. But whatever way you go, it has a factor, especially from day one on how much your costs are gonna be once you take that building over. And of course, leading on from that is heating. So again, whose cost is that? Long-term, 
It may well be your clients, either directly or indirectly, but it is something you're going to have to factor in. And is it gas? Is it off the grid? Are we talking about oil? Is it wood pellets? We have uh, three sites now with wood pellet boilers because environmentally it's very good, but also financially it did work and make more sense, particularly on one site where we had oil-fired heating. Another cost that some people don't notice or think about until they really get into the um, details of the sale package is that there quite often is an estate cost or a factoring cost. And on our buildings, that varies from about, well, zero in some of them, but generally maybe 1500 to £2,000 a year. It could be more in other locations, of course. And that isn't necessarily because it's a leasehold, which would have another cost, but it is the fact that it may be freehold, but you're in an estate where part of the title deed is that you do need to contribute towards the estate costs. So another factor, of course, in fact, to be fair, probably the biggest factor to consider, particularly when you're taking on a vacant property, is business rates or local government taxes. Depending on where you are in the world, depending on what county or country you're in, it may well be that the local government will want those business rates or those property taxes, whether you have a tenant or not. It can be a huge cost. So you really need to think about that. That's the number one thing to try and mitigate if you're taking on a vacant property. If you're taking on a property with a tenant, it may well be that they have that responsibility to, to cover those rates, but you must check the small print. Make sure it's them and not you as the landlord. It's going to be one of the biggest costs as you go forward. It's really important to have a great plan on how you're going to tackle business rates or property taxes. The next one would be water rates and drainage costs. So we get charged for water coming into our buildings, which is metered. We then get a charge based on how much water came in and how much the water companies think then came out, as in through the drainage, through the wastewater. And then we also have a charge for drainage based on either A, the rateable value, or B, the size of the property. These can be quite substantial too. So these are things that you need to try and find out about when you're looking at properties, particularly if they've, they've got a set of accounts with them. What are the water rates and drainage costs? Building insurance, day one you're going to have to pay that. And incidentally, the water rates and drainage costs you will have to pay from day one too. And although you think, oh, the tap won't be turned on, yes, but they'll still want to charge you for the rain coming down on the roof and using their drainage um, pipework. So building insurance, it is important. And interestingly, when you take on a vacant property, your building insurance will be a higher cost than when it's partially let or fully let. I've found that can be up to 50% of cost, you know, uh, from when it's vacant to full, because I guess the insurer looks at it and says there's less liability um, in terms of disruption or somebody breaking in because the building is occupied. Another, Another cost in the sort of general facilities and utilities to think about is parking and travel costs for you and your team. Again, something that sometimes is just not factored in. But if you're going to be going back to this building on a regular basis, which may be more if it's serviced or managed, then you need to factor these costs in. Another cost that really won't change too much from day one is fire alarm monitoring, security camera if you have any more monitoring on those, 
um, or at least a alarm system of some kind rather than just the fire alarm and potentially door security. And all these things can have GSM backups. They can work through internet as well or just through the GSM or a SIM card. They can also work through apps that connect to your phone or to your team's phones. So, And you can have them monitored by other people. And these will all have a little bit of an effect on your insurance cost as well. But depending on the property you're taking on, the location it's in, and the facilities it actually has, you may have an ongoing fire alarm monitoring cost, a security cost, whether it's an alarm or a camera or monitoring, and potentially, depending on the technology you take on, door security may have an app sitting with it which will have a monthly cost. So some of those utilities won't necessarily come straight away, but most of those costs will have some kind of impact from day one when you take on either a, a single let, passive investment, but it's vacant, or a commercial multi-let. Both of them will have those costs. So the third one is the cleaning. And I've put this in separately. I know some of these are utility costs, but it's just it's, it's good to break it down into the different sections because it depends on the offering you're going to be giving. So for instance, if you're doing a multi-let and you have communal areas, somebody's going to have to clean them. Now, Sometimes you might make it so the clients clean their own spaces, which I think is fair, because some will use them a lot and some won't use it a lot. And actually, as long as you provide the facilities so they can clean them themselves or at least access to a cleaner, then it's their responsibility to keep their space clean. But when it comes down to communal spaces, that's something you will probably have to pick the tab up on. Again, you could maybe recharge it through a service charge, but it is something you're going to have to consider when you're doing your calculations. And in with that, you often find those areas will have toilets, tea points, and these things all need supplies. It might be paper towels, it might be soap, air fresheners, the ladies might need sanitary bins. There's various costs there that you just need to put a line against. And, of course, all that product will need... Bins. So you'll need recycling, general waste, you'll need to perhaps do window cleaning, you might have some pest control sitting in, or in amongst that. And all these things are small costs, but they all add up. And you may reclaim them because you have a lease where the, in the lease is written in, there's a service element. And if there's no cap on the service, basically you tot up all these costs and then either on a quarterly or an annual basis, it's shared out amongst the tenants on a pre-agreed um, pro-rata amount based on the area that they occupy. Some leases will vary, but if you've got involved from the start, hopefully they'll all have a reasonable and fair amount allocated to their lease. But if you're doing more of a intensely managed setup where everything is serviced and all the costs are in the actual license bill, then all these things you're going to have to pay for. So you really have to factor those in. It's much more important if that's the case. So the fourth thing uh, is just more about consumables. So if you do have those T-points, do you have uh, an obligation or indeed um, a requirement there that you want to provide coffee, tea, milk, perhaps you might go as far as having biscuits and various other bits and pieces. And then, of course, there's other consumables like stationery, um, paperwork and things that you need for that building to operate. So those will depend much more on occupancy. You're not really going to need to have five fridges and five dishwashers and umpteen coffee cups and milk and everything else going out of the building if you don't actually have any tenants. So I appreciate that will go up 
pro rata really based on who's moved into the building. But it's important to think about. The fifth one is more to do with technology. So internet in particular, are you going to be providing fibre internet access for your customers? Or again, if it's a lease, yeah, it's their problem, not yours. And they may well commit to a three-year leased line, for instance, which, to be fair, is good because it's more of a commitment. But if this is something you're going to provide, then there is a potential income stream there, but there are costs. And whether there's a customer in or not, or there's any tenants, or it's fully vacant, if you've put fibre internet access, you will have a cost for the line, the leased line, and you will have a cost for a managed switch, which you may be managing, you may have bought the switch, but the chances are there will be ongoing costs there that a provider is dealing with for you, whether it's internal IT people or external. But that cost, at some point you have to bite the bullet and put it in, and it will be a cost that will be fairly significant to start with until you can start getting a return on it. I have to say, internet is a bit, the hotel industry now, the internet is becoming more and more of a commodity. It's it's almost an expectation. Not only do you have internet access or quick broadband, but you actually have least line fibre access, which is completely different than fibre um, to the cabinet in the street and then having copper connections to your building. Fibre is where the fibre strands come right into your building, into a router, a fibre router, and from there go through your network to all your customers. It's a big quality difference. There's lots of SLA differences there, but it does cost more money, and at some point you're going to have to bite the bullet. So you just have to factor that in on your cash flow. And of course, there are other factors in there. There may be user numbers that are affect your cost. You might want Wi-Fi points. You might do um, certain IP phones on that. You may charge people per unit. You may charge people per business. There's various ways of doing it. But more and more often, as the lease and the licensed spaces blend a bit more, and the more larger traditional landlords are now seeing internet access as almost a prerequisite, they're starting to give it as an offering to their tenants. Now, some tenants very security conscious. They don't care how well yours is run, they will want to bring in their own, and that's fine. But as I say, the internet access that's expected these days in good quality business-to-business -business space is fibre quality, and it doesn't come cheap. It's getting less expensive than it used to be, but you still have to factor in those costs. So the sixth thing, this is about maintenance. So how do you how do you work out what maintenance costs are going to be? Well, a lot will depend on again the lease and the license. If it's at least one person or one business occupant, it may well be that the maintenance is entirely up to them, and that's in the lease documents, and they have to pay for it all. In fact, when they hand the building back to you, there'll be certain clauses in there that have said they must have a dilapidation clauses. They're called where they say they every three years they must repaint. The gutters must be kept clean. The external painting needs to be done every five years. The electrical needs to be inspected every five years. There'll be all these sorts of costs that they have to provide or do. So for you, those may be costs you're going to have to do if that sits within your remit. But the maintenance in general will be affected by building age and customer expectation. So if you've 
gone for a real ultra-modern all-bells-and-whistles offering, then as soon as a door handle starts rattling, or a door squeaks, or there's a small coffee stain just next to the kitchen tea point, then your customer may be expecting you to fix that and fix it quick. Whereas if the offering is slightly more, I guess, budget or three-star, then there's a certain allowance for maintenance and maintenance time. It's a little bit like the internet. The less you pay, the slower they will take to fix your challenge. And it's the same in office space and service workspace, where it depends on what your customer expectation is, and that needs to be set by you at the start, and what the quality of your product is. But you do need to factor in the general maintenance, and that's not just painting and replacement. Sometimes that's maybe altering offices and things or altering space or doors. It's fire panel, annual servicing, it's fire extinguishers, landscaping, boiler maintenance, um, legionnaires testing, the electric stiff gut I spoke about, perhaps gutter maintenance every six months. There's quite a lot of things that you can factor in there. A lot of it is programmable, but some of it has to be reactive. So you'll need to allow a figure in there for that. And it will, of course, depend on the size of the building too. So the seventh thing in staffing and head office. So when you're starting out, the last thing you're thinking about is staff. Ah, I'd just put a zero against that. That's not going to cost me anything. I'm going to make lots of money on this deal because I don't need any staff. Well, actually, in the end, you will. If you want to get to a point where you've got scale, when you've worked out your strategy, you will need staff. It may not be directly employed by you, they may work for agents or for other organisations, but ultimately you're going to have to pay people to look after your spaces and your customers. And if you are going down the route of having a head office in time, because you're not running off from one location, those costs need to be shared out. So for instance, if you've got a customer management software system, if you've got a system for recording and looking after your leases or your licences, accounting software, banking costs, transaction costs, perhaps if you're doing more and more transactions on the internet so customers can log in and pay, there will be a cost there associated with those payment systems. All these things don't really allocate to a building, they're kind of more head office. And of course, in terms of staffing, well, yes, you might have somebody in there on a fixed wage, but what happens when they're on holiday? Who covers that? Maybe it's you to start with, but in time it might need to be somebody else. So there's wages, and in the UK there's national insurance contributions, there's pension contributions. All these things you just need to start factoring in. And it might be you say, well, I'll just take an arbitrary figure of, I don't know, £5,000 to cover head office and staffing allocation to this one building. It might be a lot more because it's your only building, of course. But these costs do need to be factored in. And if you're looking at selling space on a single let basis, i.e. a leased passive product, you may think, well, once I get going, the costs are minimal. This thing is passive. I don't need to get involved again. Yes. But what happens when the tenant moves out? You have a void. All these costs we spoke about that may be moved over to the customer are now yours. You need a new lease once you finally find a customer. That's going to have legal costs. It may have stamp costs at the uh, local property taxes again. These things all cost money. You may need to get surveyors in to start doing dilapidation reports, which may mean you get some money back, but also 
For the new customer coming in, you need to get a schedule of condition, which is basically a recording of the condition of the building the new occupant is taking on. And all these things take money and time. So although you think a single let leased product um, is very much hands off, there is going to be cost. It might be that you don't do it all, but you're going to have to pay for it to be done by somebody else. So when you're looking at the license space where you have more flexible offering, perhaps in a 12 month license or something, those tend to come with, a, if you go for a software option, you don't have to pay for them every time. You basically just pay for the system. You may have to pay for it every month, of course, on a monthly retainer or something. But basically, your license documentation, your legal documentation and contracts are within that software. So you can just reuse them as often as you like. Whereas when you're looking at a lease, it does need separate sets of lawyers. It does take time. And inevitably, your vacancy rate is 100%. So if somebody moves out, unless you get somebody straight in, it's either full or it's empty. Whereas if you have, if you have a multi-let, then it might be 20% vacant, but 80% occupied. And then maybe somebody moves in, then somebody moves out. So it goes from 70 to 90 to 80. But at least there's a more consistent occupancy of your property. That cost, by the way, about the license, as I say, is sort of just, it, it gets involved in your software, I guess. And it depends what system you want to, you, you, you want to go for. But it then makes you think about marketing, which is the last one, because having a churn, as it were, with customers coming through a licensed space or a flexible space, you're going to have to find customers. But of course, you're going to have to find customers for a single let as well. And it depends on what level you're going to, but in the marketing element, you might want to, in the simplest form, have a website, particularly if you're doing a multi-let or industrial site, or obviously things like self-storage and that, you're definitely going to have to. But even working as a landlord in five-year leases, if you've got six or seven buildings together, you probably want to have a website that talks about your facility and talks about the options. And it may all be full, but at least if that's getting traction on the internet, when there is a uh, vacancy that comes up, you have the ability to talk to potential customers. So there's website hosting and, of course, upkeeping in your marketing. There's social media management. I know that a lot of um, larger landlords now use social media management, even for leased products. There's an advertising budget. You may have one, you may not. But you might need PR or press releases for when leases become available. Or you might just spend time networking. But of course, time is money. Your time is money. And there's costs associated with going to these things and doing this sort of stuff. And then there's the agent costs. So you might for new leases, you might have a broker or a local agent who goes and finds that tenant for you. And often they charge around about 10% of a year's rent. That's their kind of charge. And to be fair, the online brokers who help find you flexible customers or licensed customers often charge the same. It may vary, of course. Some will charge more and some are less. But effectively, there's a percentage on the annual turnover from these customers. So these are other costs. I've put it in marketing, but they're basically costs of, of customer acquisition, I guess. And then the last one I've just slid in for marketing, is this one's a great one. It's signage, and it often is a one-off payment. But signage, if you're in the right location, it can be such a great investment for bringing in new tenants. I'm amazed at how few 
locations have good signage to just get footfall and walk-ins. I mean, some of our sites, because of the location, but also the signage, we get walk-ins. And I remember talking to one particular gentleman who who was in charge of um, a lot of centres throughout the UK, and their number one resource for customer acquisition was signage. They just had really good locations and great signage. So don't underestimate the power of signage. So just to run through those again, the first one is finance. Work out how much your finance is actually going to cost you. And bear in mind that if you're paying off capital, it doesn't count because it's not going to give you cash flow. Second thing, general facilities and utilities costs. Work out all those different things that we spoke about and how they're going to affect you from day one. And also as your project develops and you bring in tenants. Are you going to be charging those out under a service agreement or are you just going to leave it to the customer and they actually have to tie it with the utilities providers? The third thing is cleaning. All that lovely clearing and cleaning that has to go in a building, particularly if it's those communal areas that are going to affect you. The fourth thing is consumables, where you're perhaps providing tea points, toilets, facilities that don't belong to anyone in particular, and you're going to have to deal with the consumables for these things. The fifth one is internet and technology provision. What level are you going to provide? How much is it going to cost? And when do those prices kick in? Because things like fibre internet access won't be something that you can just slowly turn on. You either put it on or it's off. The sixth one is maintenance. Trying to work out the proactive maintenance costs and the reactive. Reactive will tend to be more to do with what type of tenants you have, what they actually do, and of course, what the condition of the building is, what's the age of the building. And you're going to have to work out what that cost is going to be. The seventh one is staffing and head office costs. Don't ignore this one. Even if you think, well, I'll do all that just now. At some point, if you want any kind of scale and be able to get out of this, you're going to have to have some kind of cost for somebody else to deal with those issues. And then the eighth thing, the final one, is marketing. Is it once every five years you're going to have to be marketing? Is it a steady drip? Are you going to build a website? What kind of costs are going to be associated with finding those customers' customer acquisition? So, in summary, all the time during this process, what you're trying to do is evaluate where savings can be made and what potential business model may suit the opportunity you're assessing. So if you think about it, when you find a building and and you start piecing together the jigsaw, you're not going to know how it all looks to start with. And you just got to poke and prod, do some calculations, work out what the operational cost will be for perhaps a single lease, work out what the operational cost will be for a multi-let, and start piecing that together with the market information or the market demand that we discussed in the previous podcast, and perhaps when we discuss in future podcasts, the various income streams that you can maybe generate off the back of multi-let properties, all these things start to build a picture for you so you can assess what this opportunity is going to look like. So for instance, do you rent the property at a lower rate potentially, but to one customer? Or you do up the spec split it into individual units with separate meters or all-inclusive and provide a more serviced offering. But by going through all the costs, you'll begin to work out which model is going to work best. That is if you are open to working with different strategies across your portfolio, of course. If you're not really that happy to stray from a strict kind of self-imposed strategy, then that's fine. But at least build a network so you can pass or even sell on deals to other people who are in that network 
for properties that maybe don't quite fit your criteria. Investment criteria is so important. You must work that out as soon as you can because it will allow you to assess these projects with much more clarity because all these little bits we're talking about today is quite technical today. These are all little factors that will affect the overall workings of the project, but you have to work out what your investment criteria is to be able to actually assess whether this particular project is going to work for you. So thanks very much for your time. I hope that's been useful and helpful this week. Thank you all for the reviews. If you have anyone you know who is looking to get involved in commercial property, please do share this podcast. Be delighted to try and talk to more people and get this podcast out to other would-be developers and commercial property investors. Thanks very much and we'll speak to you next time. enjoying the content delivered on the CPI podcast. Even though it's free to listen to, it actually takes quite a bit of time and financial commitment to deliver each and every episode. Did you know that by leaving a positive written review, you, yes, you will have a direct impact on the visibility of the podcast. And that's really important because by reaching a wider audience, it helps our team to continually improve the overall content that we deliver to you week after week. For some of you, leaving a review will be second nature, but for others, it might be your first one. Open your podcast app, pick the CPI podcast and search for previous reviews. And on iTunes in particular, click to look at all of the reviews and then you'll see an option to leave a written review. Go on, it'll only take two minutes and it'll really make our day. And we genuinely read every single one of them.